Hi everyone, and welcome back to From the Market Square, presented by Sheehan Finney. I'm your host, Paul Durham, and today I'm joined by Bob Lord, a lifelong musician, composer, philanthropist, and the founder and CEO of Parma Recordings. Every time I talk with Bob, I discover something new and impressive about him, which is why I couldn't wait to have him on as a guest. Parma is a 14-year-old recording company that now has 40 employees and staff spread across five countries, including Malta, the Czech Republic, Cuba, and Croatia, where it owns a symphony orchestra. Under Bob's guidance, Parma has been nominated for Grammy Awards, and its arts have won them. Bob's brought his creative vision to numerous notable projects, including Dan Brown's Wild Symphony, which will be making its hometown debut in Portsmouth in just a few weeks. And, oh yeah, I should mention that Parma is based right here on the New Hampshire seacoast. Bob is a much more fun to listen to than I am, so I'll let him describe Parma and his work in his own words. It's amazing to find such a successful musical enterprise tucked right under our noses, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a harder-working entrepreneur or a nicer guy. Thanks for listening, and here's Bob Lord. So, um, Bob, I've been actually looking forward to having you on this podcast for a long time, so thanks for, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you know, last time we we recently we sat down um, and talked for over three hours at lunch. I don't, I wasn't watching the clock, but when I came back, I was like, "Wow, that was a long lunch." <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and and I feel I feel like I felt like I barely scratched the surface at, at um, you know some of the cool things that that you do. Uh, so, uh, I mean, for for people who who aren't familiar familiar with Parma Recordings, could you just you know tell me? a little bit about, you know, you know, what you, what you do, who your clients are, what's the, you know, what, what what's the business and um, um, what it's like. Sure. Well, you know, Parma is a really interesting company. It's a bit of a, a bit of a unicorn. Um, we do basically everything that there is to be done in the music business. And our job is to basically shepherd musical projects, generally with a, a classical music focus, uh, all the way through from conception to execution and implementation. By that, I mean the entire this entire kind of conga line of, of services from, um, you know, project planning to contracting to in-studio work, uh, actual production, and then all the way through, um, you know, design, graphics, manufacturing, distribution, licensing, publishing, the whole, the whole thing. And uh, it's it's really an interesting nexus of business and art, which they make for difficult bedfellows generally. Um, sure. and, and there's always stress and tension that comes along with trying to reconcile these two things. Uh, but that's where I've, I've found myself um, in my career and over the course of my life, uh, you know, this kind of spot right, right in the middle here. And I, I guess the easiest way to say it is in some sense, I am, and we try to be the Rosetta Stone to help interpret um, both sides of this, because it's so important to um, to remember that you know you you, you got to stick around to keep making art, and you also got to remember that um, art is something that needs to be made not for the sake of anything other than its own sake, in some sense. And and it's a real pleasure to work with people who um, have such a great vision and who are so willing to, um, I think, bravely implement it. And uh, and it's just it's a real privilege to be able to do it. So it's a crazy company. Um, We've been around for about 14 years. Uh, we're around around 40 folks uh, in five countries right now, and, uh, and it's a, it's a great great team. 
your clients. So, so I mean, for again, for people hear about a, a record company or a recording company or you know, music production company, and and a lot of people might not really understand what that means, right? So, your clients are you have a variety of different ones, but are they primarily are they composers? Are they songwriters? Um, musicians, all of the above. Um, you know, talk a little bit about what you know who they are and 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 how you walk them through that process. Um, yeah, you know, I would say for the most part, it's musicians, right? I mean, it's right. it's composers, it's performers. We're we're dealing with creatives generally, but we've expanded the business over the years to also really um, address a number of other kind of adjacent sectors. So, you know, for example, in addition to um, to let's see, being hired by a composer or an ensemble to produce their music. Um, and by that, I mean, record it, release it, um, publicize it, all the kind of various aspects of, of presentation or, or, or um, creation of music. But we also work with venues. We also work with institutions. Uh, we work with organizations um, who are, are music minded and we're doing a whole bunch of different stuff with them. So, you know, in the old days, um, it was about being a record label and the old, the, the big record labels, right? They would, they'd put out a hundred albums and then of those hundred, one would, would be a hit and that one would pay for the other 99. And then you just repeat the process the next year. And, and, uh, and you can see why it didn't work out for um, huge chunks of the, uh, of the industry, especially as we approach the two thousands and the digital revolution and everything that we saw with the, the total destruction of, um, of the kind of physical product um, nexus. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to see, but um, our model has actually kind of affected change in our market. So when we began, my idea was was a really simple one, which is that what did I want as an artist? What do I want? I want I want all the control and none of the responsibility. Right. And I had my own little experience um, experiences, I should say, being signed to to record labels, small deals, nothing huge, no, no massive uh, major label stuff. But I got to experience firsthand that. Um, that process of you think that you've been been uh, um, tapped because somebody really loves what you do. And then you realize, well, you know, they're looking for something too. And I realized I, I got kind of hemmed in creatively at one point and, and it didn't stick and I didn't like it. So my feeling was, you know, I, I want to be the guy in control. I don't want to have someone else pick up my tab. I, I want to order my own meal at the restaurant. Uh, I don't want to have uh, uh, somebody else tell me exactly what to do. So I really began to think about, well, how does that work? And um, and at that point, I'd, I'd been getting hired to do uh, custom audio jobs, production jobs, booking jobs, performance jobs, all of it. And I said, well, if I could apply kind of a different modality to um, to the, the the label model, well, what would that look like? And so what it really meant is that you know we're, we're hired by people to, to do a job. And just like you, Paul, you're an attorney. You don't take every case that comes your way, right? I mean, you know, this is this is partly what what. Of the processes is to determine well how how best do we invest our time and and what is going to be compelling and um, what's going to work in the market and we also do our our best obviously to to think about well how do we resist speculative investments how do we mitigate risk on behalf of both the company and and our artists um, so the model is is a little bit different you don't see a lot of big labels out these days or big you know record companies just throwing money against the wall and saying hey let's let's see what sticks. Because the mechanism for 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 revenue, it, it just isn't there like it was in the old days. You know, in the old days, we travel around in the van with a bunch of boxes of CD in the back, uh, CDs in the back, and then we would just try and sell CDs at the shows and, and all the rest. But but that type of stuff, it just doesn't exist anymore. When we're looking at a um, a, a distribution model where where people are making pennies on the dollar uh, from from streaming distribution, big audiences, big numbers, but but low on revenue. Um, so that's a little bit of what we've tried to do is to is to reorient, you know, not just our, you know, our, our thinking of the company, but but also the market itself. And, and Paul, it's really interesting to see 
that over the course of these 14 years, what we were doing was very different 14 years ago. And now, you know, big chunks of our competition are adopting our model, adopting our exact uh, structure, our, our concept, which is, which is, uh, I guess, the, the best form of flattery, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, and, and you, you know, you mentioned that it, the the musicians that you work with, it, it largely, it's a it's a, a classical band. I should mention that you are a you're a musician yourself, although not necessarily uh, dreadnoughts. Not a, uh, a what would you describe as a as a, a classical uh, <laughs> even classical. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how so how did you know how did that come about? I mean, obviously, you're like again, your your background and probably taste in music was, or at least what you performed was was different than what you're working with now. So what was the what was the evolution there? How did you know what, how did that slant develop over time? Well, it's it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I didn't have any formal training when I was a kid. Like I wasn't the kid that sat down and and, and played Mozart at the piano and, and all this stuff. Um, I began to play the bass guitar when I was about 12 years old. I, I saw the, the band The Who play and I said, this is it. This is what I want to do. I'd, I'd, I'd been in rock and roll and all kinds of stuff when I was a kid. The Beatles were a huge influence on me. But it was really when I when I I, I encountered The Who that I said, oh, man, this is this is it. And um I began to play. Uh, had was lucky enough to have a lot of really great peers when I was young in high school. And um, in my high school graduating class, in the year above us and the year below us, there's a ton of us that came out uh, uh, in, in in really you know deeply working in in a meaningful way in the music industry, which is strange. It must have been something in the water. Um, but I was always kind of following my ear and, and listening and saying, oh, that sounds interesting and that's different and that's interesting. I've never been the kind of person to just put the same tune on over and over and over again. Um, so it was really just following my ear. And then I guess I would say in my, my around the time I was about 20, late teens, early twenties in this ballpark, I really began to get seriously interested in, in classical music. And, and I don't mean like, you know, Beethoven and Brahms and all this stuff. I, I heard, um, Stravinsky and mm. that to me was just a mind blowing experience because I realized this is the kind of classical version of all the stuff that I I've been liking and playing like King Crimson and Rush and like, you know, heavy angular progressive rock. It's like, wait a minute, Stravinsky's kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really got into, into it in, in a, just from a sense of like, this seems to be the right way to go. This is the direction. This is the, the biggest canvas you can use, right? This is the, the, the biggest sound you can make in some sense. Um, so yeah, I really got, I really got passionate about it and began to incorporate it in my, um, kind of in my, my life and in, in, into some of my music and my, my thinking for sure, my listening, definitely. Uh, and then it was about, uh, about 17 or so years ago, 17, 18 years ago, I, uh, I began to work, you know, pr- professionally in the, in the field. Um, I actually, uh, worked for a company called MMC recordings. I worked there for three years and that was, uh, really my only job working for anybody else. And, Really wasn't working for anybody else. The guy who owned the the, um, the company, who since passed away, composer, um, performer, wonderful jazz pianist, wonderful classical composer. Yeah, it wasn't a business guy at all. Uh, it was just kind of stumbled into this this thing that he was doing, and um, and so that gave me some really good time over target to understand what was going on in the industry and and how it could be helped. And what I saw at that time, and what I still see right now, is you know is underdeveloped territory, underdeveloped land. Um, the classical market is is still so backwards in so many ways uh, that I felt that it was an area where I could affect change. And, you know, um, one of the projects that we've we've been working on the past number of years and we'll continue to work on is uh, this project Wild Symphony by by Dan Brown, which you know about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dan is the author of The Da Vinci Code and, and a super successful guy. But, you know, he started off as a musician and 
that was his passion. And, um, and his mom was a musician and he tried to make it in the music industry and, and it didn't work. He wrote a book and, you know, things, things ended up working out for him. <laughs> it's worked but, out okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it was like when I remember when we were developing the wild symphony project, it was to me further kind of evidence that there's, there's something here. And, and there are people out there who haven't been exposed to this great music, this great culture. And, and how do you get them in? How do you bring them in? So I guess I was really attracted to the fact, like I said, I, I could, I could affect change and I could make a difference in this environment. And, I felt that I could bring um, I, I could bring something to classical music that wasn't there already. And and I last thing I'd say, Paul, is that you know, look, most of us at the company are musicians. Um, a bunch of us classically trained, a bunch of us not, a bunch of us jazz guys, rock guys, classical dudes, whatever. Um, you know, in in I think the mix of who we are is what makes it so interesting. We didn't all study at the conservatory. We didn't all apprentice at you know at management houses in Europe or whatever. Um, we have real practical kind of um, pragmatic uh, you know, application. And, uh, and I think that, that that has been a difference maker. Um, and it's something unique in, the, in this, this kind of corner of the business. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it's really interesting. And you know, the way you describe it, Bob, you make it sound, not that you make it sound easy, but it, it seems like it's such this natural transition. But this idea of going from having, you know, maybe sounds like you had maybe you know, one real day job where you work for somebody else. To then going and, and building a recording company on your own—that's <laughs> yeah. you, not—that's not an easy <laughs> or seamless thing, um, you know. Regardless, as, as of course you know, but I mean, so how did you how did you jump into that? I mean, like you said, you had this maybe this only one one job where you work, you know, for somebody else, where you, you maybe cut your teeth or got some exposure to this you know, this area of the of, of the music industry. I mean, what 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 possesses you to to sort of go and launch your own record company? Well, I had my own companies before, um, mm-hmm. a, a record label that uh, I, I've had for, you know, a couple of decades, um, you know, just nothing huge, uh, booking agency, you know, little stuff like this. And I'd, I'd been been doing business. I, I'd had a shingle hung for a long time and I had it in my mind what I, what I really wanted and what I thought this company could be. It was just a matter of like, how do you get there from here, right? Like, would love to take a walk to Paris right now. Just not going to happen. I physically can't can't do it. And it was the same thing with the company. Like, well, wait a minute, how do I how do I get there? Um, and I think it was it was born out of like so many things, uh, frustration, um, mm-hmm. seeing that I'm not a natural. I guess I would the easiest way to say it is I'm I'm constitutionally unfit to work for anybody else. Um, of course, I work for my clients. Of course, I work for my staff. In, in many ways, you know. I have the least decision-making power um, because in any organization, you, you really got to depend on the people around you. But in those early days, you know, it was thinking about um, how do I grow this in concentric circles? How do I expand? And in the fact that I'd done so much in the business that I knew so many different corners of uh, the music industry was really, really helpful in the early days because, you know, I, I knew what it took to get stuff done. And um, I knew how to produce records. I knew what looks good. I know what sounds good. I know it feels good. Um, and I think that, like I said, there was a moment when I was working at MMC and I, and, and it was a wonderful experience in many ways, but when you realize that, you know, you, you can't affect the change, like I said before, that you want, um, then you got to go off and you got to do your own thing. And, and that's, and that's what basically happened to me. So it was, uh, it was a long process to get, uh, to get here from there. It continues, right? You know, business, it, it never ends. You, you it always are um, in a position of, of risk. And right now in the world, I mean, post, post-COVID, pre-post-COVID, what do we want to call this? We've got a yep. war going on in Europe that we thought we would never see. Um, and, you know, inflation is, is hitting everything. So it's always a, like 
I would say a picture of a runner in motion, right? You, you get the snapshot, but, but that's only one frame out of this, this, this massive effort that's going on. And, right. uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's continually a challenge. The early days were tough. I always knew that I wanted to do uh, something like, like this. Although if I, if I told you that, you know, when I was a 20 year old kid playing bass with the band, um, that I was going to be a CEO of a classic music, classical music company, I would have said, you're crazy. So, uh, you know, the, the, the twists and turns of, of what this ended up being, they, they were unforeseen, but, but this basic concept and the idea of, like I said before, the kind of intersection of art and business, th this has always been in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I really want people who are listening to, to really get a sense of, of, of the scope of what you're doing, because I, I think they might be, they might be surprised. I mean, you know, you said that the, you said that you're, you're based here on the seacoast. Yep. Um, you know, when, when, when you think of, of, uh, music hotbeds around the U S or around the world, um, Rye, Northampton, Portsmouth doesn't New Hampshire doesn't necessarily come to mind. Um, there are, <laughs> but your business is of international scope. As you said, you're, you have 40 employees, right? You're in how many different countries around the world? Do you have, you have, uh, five countries, five countries, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, I know because every time I, every time I talk to you, you're either getting off or getting on a plane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so you're involved with the, the symphony orchestra in Croatia, right? So that's, yep. are, you, are you the chair of that board or what's your role with that? I was, you know, I'm always trying to put the pieces in place. So yeah, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Believe me, it's tough. Yeah. There's so much, right? There's so much. Uh, that's actually an orchestra that, that we own and operate. Um, yep. And it's based in Croatia, where we have some staff, and uh, where we've we've made investments. You know, I think like cu cultural investments uh, as far as bringing work there, um, determining that it's it's a good place to, to to make music. Czech Republic, we also have staff there. I've been working in the Czech Republic for 17 years, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I love it there. It's like a second home to me, and and the musicianship there is superb. And this is the, this is the thing, like all the territories where we work, we have staff in Malta, Cuba, here in the States, of course. Um, but all these territories where we work, there's there's a different quality in each of them or a different characteristic in each of them that, that make them unique. And I like to um, I like to access that. I think that that's fun. But yeah, we, we do we do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, we finished recording sessions with the London Symphony Orchestra last week. You know, this great project with Dan Brown, um, we've been nominated for Grammys, Our members of our staff have won Grammys, uh, you know, and here we are, a little company in the Seacoast, and uh, people probably drive by on Route 1 all the time and say, I wonder what that building is, and, and that's us. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and then in, in addition to that, obviously, you know, I'm involved, um, and as you know, because uh, you, you serve with me, I'm the chair of the board of the Music Hall um, uh, in Portsmouth, and, you know, it's an honor and a privilege, so I, I like to wear a lot of hats, it's not easy. Um, but for me, you know, variety, it, it really is a spice of life. And, uh, I, I get, I get bored otherwise, let's be honest. <laughs> That's what, you know, it, finding, you know, finding things, uh, that you're passionate about and, and being able, being able to, you know, combine it is combine them are so important. I mean, you know, we've, we've talked at length about, you know, our, our respective roles as, as artists and creators and, and, and how that either influences or combines with our, our business and professional lives. And, um, you know, while, you know, when, like I said, when you, like you said, when you were playing bass on, on stage at, at, at the music hall, right. You've done that before um, many years oh, yeah. ago, <laughs> right. Um, it, that was probably before you imagined um, that you'd ever be the, uh, the CEO of a, of a, of a, you know, classical music company um, with, <laughs> with, with employees all over the world. Um, and, and it, it's, it's just, you know, it, it's really funny and interesting how our, uh, our creative, uh, 
passions uh, when combined and, and, and done right, uh, you know, can really enrich our professional lives. And, and um, you know, I think people, you know, my experience has been is that, you know, people like you who are able to combine what they're passionate about um, with their work, so to speak, uh, tend to, they're working, but they're not really working because they love what they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, it, it sounds like you've, you've found a great way to, to combine those things yourself. Uh, well, you know, I, I'd like to think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I meant there's certain things I miss, of course, you know, in theory, I, I miss being out in the road with the guys in the van and, and, and playing gigs and um, and being in the trenches. I don't miss three guys piling into a single daisy in room. Right. So there's, there's all these aspects of this stuff that I, I love and I, and I, I don't love um, travel in style now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it is interesting when you try to mix, you know, your life and your work and listen, man, I'll tell you, I advise a lot of students because um, I do a lot of speaking at universities. I do a lot of seminars. I, I, I uh, attend classes because I'm a terrible teacher, but I do like to, to teach. <laughs> so um, uh, it's good. It's a really great thing for me to, to get in there and to um, talk to kids about my experiences and help them find some shortcuts to get through because nobody pulled me aside when I was a kid and said, listen, there are a multiplicity of ways to make a great living in the music industry. And you don't need to be a rock star. Like, you, like, I mean, in my brain, I think, as I said, as I said to you over lunch, I grew up, I was born in 1976, I'm 45 years old. I grew up thinking that I could be a second rate bass player in a third rate band and make first rate royalties. Right. Hey, listen, the guy from Aerosmith did it. So you know, that bubble burst. Uh, right. right at the point that I was becoming a professional and I just didn't recognize it at the time. So you, you, you sit there and you're, and you're swimming and you're swimming and you're swimming and you're paddling and paddling and paddling and say, why isn't this working? And you realize, oh my God, like that entire universe, it, it dissipated and nobody really realized it until after it occurred. So I think that that's really, it, it was really interesting to see. And I, I enjoy imparting that to students and to explain to them that, you know, there are a lot of ways to do this. I, I heard something really interesting from one um one student one time, she stood up in a class, in a composition class, uh, and uh, this is down in Texas at Rice University, which has one of the best music programs in the country. And in front of her peers, she said, you know, I don't know if I really want to do this. And I looked at her, I said, come talk to me after class, because that is the bravest thing you could do is to stand up in front of your peers, your competitors, your, your, your classmates, and say, I don't know if I'm really into this. I don't know if I really, really want to be a composer. So I have not hesitated to advise people that, you know, sometimes the right thing is to keep these things completely separate from, for a lot of people. Um, sure. Don't infect, don't infect your life with your passion, right? Because, because sometimes it can go sideways and, and, and I, you know, you see it a lot and I hate to generalize, but, you know, in professional orchestras, there's a lot of violins. There's a lot of string players, right? And every one of those violins, the first, the first violins, the second violins, they were stars when they were little kids. They were stars in their parents' eyes. They were probably stars at their, at their elementary schools. And then as they go further and further and further, they end up getting a job where they're sitting in the back of the second violin section. And there's no glory. It's a paycheck. It, it, you know, there, there's, there's no, no beauty. Now, listen, I know a lot of folks who sit in the back of the second violin section who are wonderful musicians and wonderful people. But for some people, it turns into the grind and it turns into the day job. So I, right. I think that, you know, that's my advice to a lot of younger uh, musicians is, you know, think, think carefully about what you want. Be careful what you wish for. Um, and what's good for me isn't necessarily good for them. Right, right. And you, you talk about, you know, working with students and, and, and passing along advice. Um, you know, who were your uh, who were some of your mentors growing up? I mean, 
who influenced you and, you know, sort of your outlook, your perspective, your, you know, your, your sort of courage to take risks and, and, and blaze your own path? I mean, I think there's all really, there's a lot of answers to that. There's a lot of people that I, I, I worked with or studied with or, or, or admired from afar where I got that kind of inspiration. But really the only one that matters is my dad. Uh, you know, my dad's been my best friend since I was a little kid. I'm an only child. Um, he's been my, my consigliere, you know, my, my advisor, truth teller. Um, and, you know, I think when I was young, he saw that I was very artistic. I was in a was drawing, I was in a, you know, music and all kinds of crazy stuff when I was a kid and I was artsy. Right. And I think he looked at that and he said, Oh, if, if left untouched, this could potentially become a problem. And, um, you know, started taking me to business meetings when I was a little kid and, uh, you know, would, would put me in a suit and I'd go down in New York with them and he'd do a job interview, whether he's going to hire someone or whatever. And, and I'd sit there at the dinner table. And, um, and it was really helpful because he, he inoculated me and he put me into a situation and made me feel comfortable and natural at a very young age. And I'll tell you that I know a lot of people who at a very advanced age are not comfortable in those circumstances, right? Especially in the music business, the music industry. So I think that was really huge. And I remember he, he, uh, he told me something once. It was really, really crazy and funny, and it just really stuck. But we were at Logan Airport, and um, we were going uh, on a flight. And I think I was probably seven or eight years old, something like that, really young. And uh, this is in Terminal E. And this was like they were still doing domestic flights out of there at that time. It was, it was not just international. Sure. And, uh, and so he, we, went, we walked in. And, and for those who are listening who have not been to Terminal E at Logan Airport, it's just very, very long, very, very long. And in the center of it, there's, um, there's a security line. And the security line was basically snaked out to outside where like the drop off is. And uh, we walked in the airport and I looked at it. My dad looks at me and he says, hmm long line I said yeah he goes you think we're gonna make the flight i said i don't know no and he goes come here and he kind of wagged his finger at me so i followed him walked down to the end of the terminal we walked um down a, a, a flight of stairs that looked like we probably shouldn't walk down we walked through a little corridor that that really didn't look like we should be walking through and then we walked up to a door that definitely didn't look like we should be going going into and sure enough there's a security gate there and there's nobody except the attendant and she says oh hello mr lord good to see you is this your son <laughs> <laughs> and my dad turned to me and he looked at me and he said, when you see a line, don't get in it. And that advice, that kind of like, just don't follow the herd. Don't follow the crowd. Don't, don't just do what everybody does because you see them doing it. Stop for a minute. Think, you know, is there another right. way through? That was the, the, one of the best lessons I ever had. And, uh, and, and all of that advice has come in such handy over the years, um, you know, to balance out the artsy Artsy Bob, the, the the guy who is a bass player and a composer and really, you know, at the end of the day, Paul, uh, who just wants to make music. That's all I want to do. Uh, and, and if I didn't have that skill set that my dad um, gave me, I, I would be in a, a much different position right now. That, that, that's one of several stories you've told me about your dad. So thanks for sharing it. I mean, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like yeah. he is, wasn't, it is quite a, uh, quite a special guy and taught you a lot along the way. And he must be you know, really proud of what you, what you've accomplished and what you. Um... Well, it's 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 fun because you know he he uh, uh he doesn't work for the company. He's not an investor in the company. Don't don't get me wrong. He's got no 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 like actual professional contractual right. relationship with my organization. Um, right. but 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 he's around every single day. You know, he's he's helping my staff. He's helping me. He's paying attention. And I think for him, uh, if he were on this call right now, he'd probably say, you know, it's really fun and gratifying. It's stressful, but but you know, gratifying to work with your son. And, uh, and to be able to, to help. And, and I think the fun part is that it, it's not widgets, right? We're not selling hamburgers. We're not, 
we're, we're not churning, churning stuff out. Um, it's art. So it's a little bit different for him. And I think he enjoys it. Let me ask you. So we touched a little bit on sort of what's coming up, what's what's next for for Arma, and, and we talked a little bit about the music hall. So uh, Wild Symphony um, is coming up uh, a few weeks, right? Um, yeah. Next next month. Talk a little bit about that because I think uh, again we've we've covered so much stuff talking with you, Bob, that we <laughs> to touch yeah, on that, yeah. that that's really interesting. You know, it, one of the things I I didn't know before for chatting with you is that you know, Dan Brown was a musician to start. You know, before he you know found acclaim and success as a, as an author, um, and now he's getting back to those roots largely with with your help on on Wild Symphony. So, and I, I know COVID had that had to get put aside a little bit, but rather than have me try to articulate it, tell me what Wild Symphony is. Um, you know, why it's been important to you, why, what you've enjoyed about it and, and, and what folks who are eagerly waiting to hear about it can look forward to. Well, it's a great, it's a great project. And yeah. it's so clear to me that there is a need for, um, for music and entertainment uh, and education for families, for kids um, to get them to, to get back into the concert hall. I mean, we live in this crazy TikTok, Twitter, Instagram world right now. And um there is something to be said for old school experiences and analog experiences. You know, we were talking before about how I got involved in, in, um, in classical music. I'm an electric bass player. I play through an amplifier. I got to plug it into a wall and I can make it really, really loud, but that's not the actual bass that you're hearing, right? It's, it's the, the pickups taking the sound from the strings that are vibrating and putting it through a cable and all the rest. Symphony orchestra is like 75 people and you can feel that, right? You can feel those sound waves when they just hit you right in the chest. There's something about that that is just so unbelievable and spectacular. And, um, and that was one of the, the, you know, kind of reasons why we embarked on Wild Symphony. But, but to give you the, the story, and I'll, I'll make it quick, but uh, it kind of began um, 17 years ago. So around 2005, 2006 in this ballpark, I think 2006. And, um, and so Dan was doing an event at the Music Hall. We had just started the Writers on a New England Stage series, where I've been the music director in the house band with my band Redknot uh, for the whole, the whole time. So um, what I have to do is to put together music which is thematically connected with the, um, the performances and with the authors and with their projects. So I did my homework. I'm an, I'm an only child. I always do my homework. Always, always do my research. And, uh, and that's how I found out that Dan was a musician. So I found a couple of his tunes. And I said, mm, let's do one of these. So we arranged one for the band and I thought it'd be a good surprise. And I hadn't met Dan before. Uh, so this is right. You know, he had like a death threat on him. It, this was um, a tough time for him and he hadn't been seen in public in quite a while. So he walks in on the side of the stage uh, from the, the, the hall side door. And this is like minimum contact with people, security, you know, the whole thing. And we, when we're playing, we start to play. And I look over the side of the stage and he had stage face on, right? He was, he was ready to go on stage. He was thinking through, he was going to say, and we began to play his tune. And in a span of about 10 seconds, I saw the entire life cycle of like, you know, it was like slight confusion, real confusion, total horror. Then like this kind of laughing and oh shit, oh my goodness, it was just, I can't believe this is happening kind of, you know, look at his face. And, uh, and you know, at the end of the gig, he, he walked over to me and he said, how did you find that song? <laughs> and, uh, and that was kind of what, what began it all. Um, so we, we began a, a kind of just friendly correspondence and we'd see each other out and about from time to time. And I'd say about, um, about seven years ago or so in that ballpark, he, 
I was about 10 years ago, he said to me at one point, he said, hey, listen, you know, eventually I'm going to get back into music. And when I do, would, would you would you be my producer? Would you produce my stuff? I said, yeah, just give me a call, man, any old time. And it was about seven years ago, we really got going in earnest. And we began by recording a whole bunch of different types of things. And um, and it took us a while to find the, the project where it was right to present Dan Brown. And, you know, I think the important thing that I would want to communicate is if his name was Bill Brown, I would still be every bit as passionate about this project. I believe, I really truly believe in the effectiveness of this project. It's beautiful. It's wonderful music. It's, it's fun. It's energizing. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's sublime. Um, And, you know, I I really think it's, it will continue to make a huge impact, but it took us a few years to to get the whole thing um, together and and to, to get the whole concept. And of course, next thing you know, it turns into a book. It turns into a, a crazy kind of um, augmented reality experience where you you hold your phone over the the pages of the book and automatically plays the music that corresponds. And so it's like it's tech, it's tradition, it's Dan. It's it's a Dan Brown thing, right? Except it's not about uh, conspiracies and mysteries. It's it's about unity and about you know positive vibes and um, and you know a, a real kind of musical coming together. Uh, so we've had about at this point, uh, I think close to 30 concerts worldwide. Um, we've had a few with Dan where uh, a small number where he's attended personally and narrated. And um, this April, that's what we've got going on at the Music Hall is basically the hometown premiere, uh, the benefit uh, benefit concert for the Music Hall and the PSO. And by the way, this was intended to happen two two plus years ago. Right, right. Um, you know, but uh, but but life life is what it is with with COVID. Uh, and so Dan will be narrating that one. And then we're also up in Portland, Maine with the Portland Symphony the next night. And Dan's narrating that. And then we've got one at UNH at the end of April, April 24th. It's going to be the world premiere of the wind band version. So there's different versions of Wild Symphony that we're developing for different ensembles. And um, this is going to be a really exciting one because uh, we'll get to hear it in a, in a different format. So long story short, great project. Uh, you know, it, it, it comes from a great place. And I think that there are... Um, this is what what we would call an evergreen, right? This is the type of project that I think will stay um, prominent and stay in the concert hall probably until the day I die. And if I do my job right, <laughs> if I really work hard, um, then that that will definitely come to pass. And I, I think it's got a real good shot to be the the new Peter and the Wolf, the new young person's guide to the orchestra, the the new piece that's the go to for for kids and for families. And uh, to say that it's been gratifying and, and fun to be a part of it would be a, a real understatement. Yeah, that's that sounds great, and, and and just just hearing you talk about it, I can't wait to I can't wait to listen. <laughs> oh, it's going to be so cool! It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I Bob, I could I could talk to you for another three hours, but I'm not going to do that to you because you're a busy guy with a lot going on in a in a <laughs> in a multinational record record uh, company to, to to manage. Um, but it's uh, it's been such a pleasure as always chatting with you and, and 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 thanks so much for sharing you know your story and, and and Parma's story and you know as I as I as I told you I folks here on the seacoast don't know about Parma they they really should because it's it's such an interesting business you're such a such an interesting and and, and good guy with with such great motivations and um, you know I think the world of you and uh, appreciate you taking the time to to spend some time and chat with me today. Well, thanks for helping me spread the word about the company. We are definitely one of the best kept little secrets around here. And uh, I would love for people to check out our work. So, you know, we're Where at karmarecordings.com. We um, we own a number of record labels and we release a ton of records every year. And, and there's some great stuff to be heard. Great music from all corners of the world that I would really encourage people to check out. 
so, you know, give, give us a Google and um, and take a listen to our, our albums and our playlists. And I guarantee you're going to find something that you like. I bet you will. Thanks, Bob. We'll talk again soon, but uh, this has been great. Thanks, Paul. That's it for today's episode of From the Market Square. I'm Paul Durham, we're Sheehan Finney, and if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast, leaving a review, and sharing it with others who might enjoy it. Of course, no podcast produced by lawyers would be complete without a legal disclaimer, so here goes. Any views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Sheehan Finney and should not be construed as legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. This podcast is not intended to create, and your listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon anything expressed without seeking professional legal counsel. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I hope you'll join us again.